Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. It's German Grand Prix week in MotoGP and Jack Miller's future has now been officially confirmed. Also, the Isle of Man TT is over for another year, but not without controversy. And World Superbikes was in action at the weekend, once again, putting on a spectacular uh, show. All that and more coming up on today's podcast. The recording date is Monday, the 13th of June. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me as ever is Crash's MotoGP editor, Pete McLaren, and of course, former Grand Prix rider and British champion, Keith Hewin. And Keith, you're fresh back uh, from the Isle of Man, aren't you? from uh, seeing the TT. What was it like out there, the atmosphere? I mean, it's a, it's a historic event, isn't it? And one that has, has, well, hasn't been on for the last uh, year or so. And so everyone's flocked to it this year. Three years, effectively, um, that, that nothing's been going on, obviously, on the island. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. The Isle of Man is a beautiful place to visit, whether there's bikes going on or not. That bit done and dusted. Obviously, you go there with some trepidation. I go there with some trepidation because you always know something is going to happen that is negative, um, as well as all the, the fun and games of the fair. I mean, it's a fantastic event, you know, the tradition behind it and the, and the actual event itself. And I have to say that every single one of those guys that, that manages to do that course properly is a, an absolute hero. It really is a special event. To watch Pete Hickman, Peter Hickman, whose dad I used to race with, Dave, um, ride that place the way he rides it is magnificent. He is just quality. There's no doubt. And, and most of the guys in behind him are as well. But of course, five deaths this year. And I say so far because there's one sidecar guy that's sort of just hanging in there at the moment is horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. I mean, can you imagine any other sport where you had five deaths um, during the course of it uh, and it would continue to run? I don't think it probably would be. Um, I think the Isle of Man... It's a sad comeback for the Isle of Man, even though it's been a great event. Um, but in this day of box ticking, um, I think the Isle of Man authorities are going to have to do a fair bit of that over the next few months to try and make sure that they at least be seen to be trying to mitigate what has happened. Proper analysis, a proper look into to how these things happen. The two solo deaths, I have to say, were, were unfortunate. The, the two, But the sidecar deaths were something that on a part of the track that it doesn't seem to be compatible for the for the sidecars. Ago's leap is literally Ago's leap. There's an aero issue. There's a balance issue with obviously two riders in a in what is a slightly awkward 
machine anyway to, to ride in normal circumstances, let alone in something where you've got such a lot of changes going on. And it was very, very windy as well. So you don't know whether that had anything to do with it. But I think the Isle of Man authorities will have to look at things like training, who's, who's, you know, how old these guys were, how much experience they had on, on the track, whether sidecars aerodynamically are, are not really compatible at the moment for some reason or another. I have no clue whether that is you know, fact or fiction. Um, so it's, it, there's quite a lot that they've got to look at, but they've got to be seen to be doing it and they've got to be seen to be doing it in a correct way. I think with social media and the way that we all have access nowadays, it used to be the case at the Isle of Man that somebody was killed and you never really heard about it. Nothing really got off, off the island. It was just, I won't say swept under the carpet because that's disrespectful, but certainly it was kept quiet. Now it isn't you know it's for everyone to see so now the isle of man authorities have got that that issue where they've got to try and make it work interestingly stuart higgs was um you may remember a tweet that stuart higgs put out about um he was terrified at the a bike that had gone bang over the over the, the mountain um because of the the gaps between marshals and the marshal posts and access to the track and you know he was comparing it obviously with with how strict they are on a short circuit and how they can jump across any particular problem really really quickly and he sort of he, he wasn't being critical i don't think of the isle of man i think genuinely he was was terrified at the fact that you couldn't check to see how much oil had been laid down during that session because there's so much of a gap between it um but he came up with some very interesting um technical innovations that they're trying out in in bsb where you know you can light up the dashboard with a with a, a yellow flag or a flashing light or whatever it was there was an issue coming down um bray hill on the glencrushery road a football whether it was kicked or whether it blew out of a front garden was rolling down the racing line on live television and through came motorcycles 150 60 miles an hour now if they'd had this innovation that stuart higgs was talking about um, on the bike, then they would have been able to flick on uh, a flashing yellow on the dash of the of, of, of the approaching machines well in advance of that sector. Um, you know they've got they've got light panels now like we have a MotoGP that, that that flashes through through. But thirty seven, like I say, the, the the size of a racetrack, thirty seven and three quarter miles. I mean, just absorb that for a second. That is a massively long way around. I went round the track yesterday before I came home. <clears throat> It seems to take forever. I know it only takes them guys 15 minutes or whatever it is, but but for everybody else, it's a bloody long way around. And the distance between marshalling posts and, and, and sector marshals and so on and so forth is is just naturally bigger than it is in some other places. So there are innovations that, that could be brought in. And, and rather than, it's quite funny, when I was looking to do an interview with uh, Stuart Higgs, I went to the press office at the back of the grandstand and asked if they'd got an office that we could do this interview in and I said it's with Stuart Higgs it actually looked like I'd farted in the office when I said that it really, they really didn't seem to be so keen but I think I think Higgs had got some quite good ideas and it's positive that he's taking away something from the Isle of Man to go back to BSB and offering up ideas to the Isle of Man that will enhance that event as well I think sometimes we get stuck in this mold of, of people being for or against a circuit or a situation. And we shouldn't, we should work together to try and make that better. I'm a hundred percent against things being banned. I always have been, I mean, the Isle of Man, I did it once, not my cup of tea is all I can say. Um, but banning it, no, nah, 
you speak, you see the pleasure it gives to so many people. The highs and lows there are massive, but the pleasure it gives to so many people. Banning something is is not an option for me. Um, working towards making it as safe as you possibly can, there are still things that can be done. I'm sure, and it's a shame, isn't it? Because it, it hits the mainstream media only really due to the fact there's been so many deaths this year. And we know that, we all know that motorsport is dangerous, in particular motorcycle racing. But as you say, calls for it to be banned. I think there's a there's a video on, on Crash at the moment explaining that and how, you know, if, if you're not a part of the motorcycle or motorsport world, you, you'll never truly understand just, just what an event this is and what it gives to, to not the people locally, but also the, the coming together of people as well. And, and I think a lot of the riders speaking out uh, that, you know, obviously it's, it's incredibly sad what's happened, but everyone knows the risks and everyone takes part. No one's forced to do it, are they? They won't do it because they want to be there. Having said that, you know, when you are there and you see the absolute anguish that families are going through, I mean, John McGuinness is a, is a fine example. 50 years old, did his 100th TT. Was he on his 103rd now TT? I can't remember how many tens of thousands of miles he said he did. Something like 50-odd thousand miles he's done around, around that racetrack. He got anguish on his face. But Rebecca, son Ewan, who was working on his super sport bike, Maisie daughter, um, you know, they are going through hell. You know, Rebecca, I saw her before he went out for the senior on Saturday. And I, I put my arm around her and, and honestly, you know, the stress was palpable, um, which must make it fantastic. The other side of things, when you come out with whatever you come out with a finish in the top half dozen or, or so. But when it when the ultimate accident happens, you know, it, there's devastation. You know, those families, you know, we had a situation in one of the sidecar where the two guys were, were bad, one was badly injured, one was killed. And they apparently, and this is apparently, I have no verification of this, um, they apparently, as a tradition, swapped dog tags. So the guy who was killed, it was it was the press release that went out, wasn't the guy that was killed. He was the one that was in hospital. So we even have a situation where, from a, from a public relations point of view, if we sh- shallow it out to a just PR, um, it was an absolute nightmare you know the wrong guy was declared dead and the, and the you know i can't imagine what that does to families friends that are all trying to deal with the situation um it just compounds it into outer space really doesn't it i think the tt everybody i spoke to um competing in it understands what's going on you're right with what you say harry none of them even lent towards I don't know whether it's worth it. I never heard that once out of competitors. From a family point of view, I did. So there's the two two sides of the fence that you, you're going to be sat on. Um, how that plays out in the future, I don't know. From a from an organisational point of view, you know they've they've got to be seen now to be putting together a program of of what else they can do to make it. They're never going to make it safe. There are always going to be people killed at the TT. Sorry to say that. That's a fact. I think they've only had one. You know, when was the last time? They, 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 I can't remember the last time that they, they didn't have anybody killed in a racing incident. As far as the actual ro- open roads are concerned, they've nailed that down fairly hard. You've never seen so many police in all your life uh, on every part of the track because that used to be the big issue. You know, fans were 
using the mountain road as fast as they can and flying off the side of the mountain and, and, and killing themselves. Um, that's pretty much been nailed down. Yeah, there are still motoring accidents. Of course there are. There's a lot of people on the Isle of Man, but it's not quite as crazy as it used to be. So there's police everywhere. There's speed guns everywhere. You cannot do what you used to be. Mad Sunday, as it used to be known, where everybody could go flat out, no speed limits. There are no speed limits over the mountain anyway. Um, but you've still got to ride and drive responsibly. But they've nailed it down. They've even got like, uh, they have a, the, the Nürburgring where the, the barrier comes up to let you out of the mountain sector so no one can turn the wrong way and come the wrong way which used to happen a lot suddenly you'd be buzzing around thinking you're on the racing line and there's a transit van in your way coming the wrong way all of that's been ruled out God. for years now oh yeah T tell me where you want to go with this conversation because the isle of man <laughs> is, is it is so complex yeah. it is such a massive massive event it's such an undertaking um, where else would you get a situation where the race on, because of the accident, the sidecar accident on the Friday, um, was before the senior race, so the senior ended up having to go on to the Saturday, and of course everyone's going home. The ferries are full, the, the flights are full, so all your marshals and the like, suddenly the 600 marshals that you need to actually cover the place, um, a fair-sized portion of those are already on boats on the way home. Already most of the fans are on their way home, because you... you you can't suddenly put on a whole load more boats to, to put your motorbike on. They're all booked up through till Monday, Tuesday. Um, if you've got to get home to go to work, and let's face it, that's most people, um, you've got to leave before the feature race is done. So there's all sorts of things that need to be thought, thought through. Um, I think that three years off, fantastic event. Um, they really seem to have got a lot of things organised, but I think that there are, you know, there are, there are going to be question marks and there are going to be boxes that have to be ticked just because that's the world we live in nowadays. Certainly, and I think it's worth just uh, saying, you know, all our thoughts are with the friends and family of those who sadly passed away. Roger and Bradley Stockton, Mark uh, Perslow, Davey Morgan and uh, Cesar Chanel as well. Um, but you're right, you know, calls for it to be banned. I, it's not, that's not going to happen. And I, don't, I think a lot of people would not want that either. Um, but things certainly need to be done for uh, for next year and uh, and done quickly and, and in a public light as well, I think, rather than just uh, uh, behind closed doors. But you touch on there, though, the popularity of the Isle of Man TT. Yes, it's been away a few years, so perhaps that has increased it even more so. But it's always been a historical event. People want to take part in it. People want to go to it. Uh, and alongside, you know, I know we, we usually talk about MotoGP. We haven't even touched on that yet. Uh, and then you bring in World Superbikes as well into this equation too, which was at the weekend and how popular that is at the moment. And the racing's brilliant. It's competitive. The grandstands are, are more that more or less, you know, packed full. And you compare that to the likes of MotoGP Grand Prix weekends. And we've seen, you know, in the last couple of weekends that, you know, the stands haven't been that full and it, and it hasn't been, perhaps as popular or as accessible as things like the Isle of Man, World Superbikes are. Why do you think that is at the moment? And what is it about the Superbikes, Isle of Man, that just brings out more people? Let me, I'm, I'm sorry, Pete. <laughs> well, the Isle of Man is a, is, a, is, is a festival. I think you go there one time and you want to go there again. Because it, it, there's so much to it. There's so much to see. You can ride your bike around. You, know, you just have a wonderful week or a holiday or whatever it is. If you're into camping, great. There's lots of good campsites. You can play golf. You can meet up with all the superstars. They're all around. They're milling around everywhere. World Superbike, I think, have actually picked up on that. I mean, the Michael Hill um, paddock show, for instance. I mean, Michael Hill does a great job. I love Michael Hill. I mean, he really does. 
he, he does a fantastic job. It's in the middle of the paddock. All the fans are in the paddock. I mean, the throngs, you know, the bikes riding through the throngs of fans to get to Park Ferme this weekend in, in Mizano. Just fantastic. I mean, real atmosphere. And that really enhances the on-site experience. And I think also it sucks people in when you're watching on TV. Sometimes you don't know why you're excited about it. You just are. You watch it on telly and you think, oh, I want to be there. Racing's been good this last couple of years as well. As Gary Oglu's had a lot to do with that, you know, taking it to John, Jonathan uh, Ray. And then there's, you know, Alvaro Bautista that's, that's you know, a MotoGP refugee that's, that's, that's doing the business now. And w w are we likely to get, you know, Dovi was there at the weekend. I know Mizano's only up the road from where he lives. So Andrea De Vizioso was there watching it. So you've got a few superstars that are coming in to watch it as well. So it's got a real dynamic about it at the moment, the World Superbikes. MotoGP... Yeah, it's lost a bit of edge at the moment, I think. I think it has. I think that, you know, Valentino Rossi is out. We were on a little bit of a dip at this minute in time with, you know, prices of, you know, the, the prices at Mugello were excruciatingly high for, for fans. You know, they'll, they'll learn from that, that that won't happen again. I'm bloody sure of it because it was ex extremely expensive to get in there. And even for somewhere like Mugello, where you would expect it to be absolutely rammed with atmosphere and people, it wasn't. Um, so maybe there's a little bit of look into laurels to do there as well in MotoGP, but all of these are like niches, aren't they? Isle of Man, a standalone classic, traditional, you know, road race. Northwest 200 can be included in that, of course. Another fantastic event that was absolutely packed. Um, and the other thing the Isle of Man have done well, you know, one thing I I didn't think there were that many people there when I went into Douglas for the. I only went out on the Thursday, but I, I I didn't think there was that many people there. Normally Douglas has got you know every every square inch is covered by motorbikes. So what the Isle of Man have been quite clever at. They've used the whole of the island and distributed the fans all over the place. There's loads more places to stay and there's loads more places to action going on. It doesn't have to be just Douglas now. So they've been quite clever on that front, um, it would seem anyway. And then you've got World Superbike the and British Superbike, of course. I mean, you've got to put them in there as well. I mean, we've got really distinct marketplaces for all of these. It's, it's quite clever how each and every one of them has developed that. And perhaps people have started to look away from MotoGP a little bit and started to think, well, we don't have to travel. You know, COVID might have come into this as well. We, we don't have to travel out of Britain. We can go to a BSB round and it's bloody good value, bloody good fun. Um, World Superbikes, we've got them coming to Donington soon. You know, it's going to be rammed. I think it will rival what, you know, what's at Silverstone for the MotoGP. It's going to be very interesting how those two play off against each other this year in, in Britain. And it is that idea of accessibility, isn't it, Pete, for, for things like that? It, these these events are more accessible at the moment than MotoGP. We, we saw that great crowd at the French Grand Prix, didn't we, just a few races back? But it's looking like that was the exception, not the rule, wasn't it? I think we thought when that happened, we thought it's back. It's back to normal. We've got the big sellout crowd. But of course, this Cotterar is the reigning champion and uh, Zarco's up there as well. They're having a great season. And now we've seen the, the crowd, Mugello, as, as Keith has highlighted, you know dropping quite a lot and it's going to be a concern because also for the, the circuits they make their money from ticket sales that's sort of the economic model and if your if your crowd numbers are down by by such big amounts that's that's going to play into their own finances and how they view even having a motor gp event let alone on the fan side as you say there's you know there's plenty of other places that the fans can go to that are let's face it it looks like quite a lot cheaper so i think um as Keith says, the Donington round coming up will be very interesting with all the, the you know, a lot of top British riders in superbikes. Superbikes always popular. And also on MotoGP side, these two events, Germany and Assen, usually big popular events. Assen on race day, you can almost guarantee will be sold out. I think it's 110,000 they they're allowed in there. 
will that happen? We'll find out. But I think these these next two races could be a, a good indicator of the fan levels we're likely to see for the rest of this year. Mm. Now it'll if... come back with MotoGP. It is the yep. premier class. I know everyone else gets the ump when you say that, but it is the premier class. It is the prototype class. It is the fastest. It is the best. You know, there's no getting away from it. World Superbikes comes close, challenging as a spectacle and as a, as an event, but it's still production-based motorbikes. Um, might give us everything we want as far as racing is concerned nowadays, but it's still, you know, why is Formula One so interesting? You know, it, it's because it's prototype, the, the pinnacle of innovation and engineering. And I think that's why it's the most, it's probably, you know, I'm not knocking Formula One, but, it, you know, race day, anybody see Azerbaijan at the weekend? I know you will have done, Ari. It was boring as anything. And and I'm, and I'm and everyone still watches it. It still has huge numbers. It has huge, and since they've reintroduced it into social media, when good old Bernie, when he was in control, didn't allow any of that social media interaction. Now that we've got that side of things and they've caught up with the 21st century, um, you know, it's, it's peaking again. Um, all of the motorbike classes are, from a racing perspective, more exciting. Um, and yet Formula One is still the biggest draw for fans. So it's a, it's a really strange, how do you quantify what brings people, what, what, mm. what attracts people to, to certain sports? I'd like to see if they're even available, which of course they won't be, but the numbers or the correlation between how many sort of people watched um, the MotoGP Amazon Prime uh, documentary following last season and and if that has translated into any more viewers or eyes on or, or anybody who might suddenly become a bit more interested in MotoGP. I wonder if that's worked or not. I don't think they, to start with, I don't think it was as good as uh, Drive to Survive, um, mm. to be frank with you. I don't think it reached the markets that it was intended to reach quite so easily either. Um, and it got binned for this year. Um, which I think says quite a bit. And I think also in Formula One, you know, most people were starved of that stuff behind the, the scenes, whereas I think we've always been a little bit better, a little bit more accessible in bikes, even in MotoGP, certainly on social media and the like. So you, you kind of know our riders, our, our team people better than you did in Formula One until that kind of access was made available, perhaps. That's just my take on it anyway. Well, uh, we'll uh, see. Hopefully it does come back. I'm sure it will uh, because we've got lots to talk about. Um, and if you're wondering why it took about 15 minutes to bring Pete in, it's because he's gone back to Thailand and his internet's a bit shoddy. So uh, we're, we're teetering around the subject. Um, but Pete, the big news uh, from MotoGP, well, I say big news, um, confirmed what everybody was highly suspicious of. Jack Miller uh, to KTM confirmed deal done. It is, yes. Uh, as you say, I mean, Keith called it a few podcasts back. It's been highly rumoured and uh, he, he signed on the dotted line. So, yeah, after five years, I think it is at Ducati, he'll be moving on. His third manufacturer started at Honda. Um, you know, on paper, you wouldn't say the KTM is as competitive as the Ducati. Obviously, it looked like his place, at the factory team had gone, but it seemed like there was an option at Pramac. He's chosen to go the, the factory KTM route. I think probably it looks like a detail maybe to some, but quite significant is the fact it's a two-year deal. Jack's been running these one-year deals for a long time now. I think pretty much since that original Honda contract, every deal has been a one-year deal. And he's mentioned a few times he was a little bit sick of it, you know, that every every season he would start not knowing where he's going to be the next year. And, and you know, that means negotiations pretty much from right round two or three are underway. 
that you won't have to worry about now that now at least for next year. So I, I think that probably played a bit of a part. You know, he, he's going to have a challenge. We know that the the KTM is not as consistent. It's a race winning bike on its day, but it, it, the consistency is lacking, isn't it? On the other hand, you know, Jack has been known to have maybe tire wear has been a bit of an issue for him. The KTM seems pretty good on that. You look at how Brad Binder rides, he's strong at the end of races. So it could suit Jack in that way. And uh, yeah, I think exciting times. Red Bull will love to have him. KTM will love to have him. You know, he's always riding off road bikes. So for all of those guys, he was with KTM in Moto3, of course. So it's sort of a reunion in a way. And uh, yeah, I'm sure they're very pleased to, to have his, uh, his name on their, on their books for next year. Looks like Bang Naya is going to miss him as well, judging by some of the stuff that's come out of the team over the last week. And Bang Naya was um, quite sad to see him go because um, he is quite a personality, Jack, isn't he? He's a good guy to have around. There's no doubt about that. And that will lift the team. The other KTM rumour at the moment coming from the paddock is that um, Polis Bargro for Tech 3. I, I, you know, I've been hearing little rumbles about um, the possibility of him going back to Tech 3, which is uh, slightly interesting. Well, well, of course, they also offered Miguel Oliveira the chance to go to Tech 3, which he turned down. But I'm now thinking, oh, are they not happy with Remy Gardner and Ralph Fernandez then? What happens to those two? Rookie year, they're doing, I imagine, and it looks like they're doing the best with what they can. Yeah, well, I think that's um, change happens, though, doesn't it? And a change is as good as a rest. And so there might be a bit of a rejigging going on. Experience also counts to some extent in, in a team. And I think that Tech 3 didn't have that um, MotoGP experience, perhaps rider-wise that they might have liked to have had. So Polis Bargro going back there, um, he's not really made the best of the Honda deal. So it's interesting as well, Lynn Jarvis, is, is, there's a few quotes floating around at the moment. Lynn Jarvis, I mean, he's mega pressed with the, impressed with the way that Aprilia have managed to do what they do. But more than that, like we all are, mega impressed with Alasius Bargro, the way, you know, someone that is a bit, what's the word? I'm going to use the word flaky. You know, you can never really be sure what you're going to get from a lace some of the time. He's fast, no doubt about that, certainly over one lap. But this year, he has properly stepped up. Um, and it's, you know, the teams around the, the paddock are taking a great deal of notice of, of what Aprilia have managed to achieve and what a lace has managed to do with himself to get to where he is. But, of course, now they've not got concessions and they've got a satellite team coming for 2023, that has just increased the engineering and workload personnel load hugely so it'll be interesting to see how aprilia as a, as a small factory manage that and that is going to make a massive difference to how they perform it certainly will and pete we've just had the uh, before we come on to looking at germany this week we just had the the catalan test of course and when we last spoke it was just beginning it's now done and dusted and over what have we learned from that has there been any big uh, talking points to come out of that what can we look forward to for, for this weekend the main thing really was aerodynamic parts. There was a lot of those seen or in KTM's case, if we start with them, as we were just speaking about them, they sort of retested their, their previous fairing. They're one of only two teams along with Yamaha that have used their update already for this season. And their update was really just taking off the side pods but for both teams. That's what they did. So they went for a sort of a lower downforce setting, hoping it would give them a bit top, bit more top speed. Now in KTM's case, they did that because it, it sort of put them more in line with their package, their aerodynamic package of last year. And it meant that they could sort of use last year's information a bit more in terms of the setup and things like that, because it seemed like they were having some difficulties getting the bike to work in the way that it had last year. A track that went well at last year hasn't gone so well this year. So that's why they made that change. Yamaha, on the other hand, they sort of bought, took, the, took the side pods off to try and give Quattro this top speed he so badly needs. Places like well, at Mugello, 
but Cotterow didn't like it. It turned out that what he, he gained on the straight, which wasn't very much, he lost more than that in the corners. Went back to the old standard version for the race, the side pods and the front wing, and almost won, didn't he? I mean, 0.6 of a second, he was there. And on a Ducati track like that, that was a great result for him. And he said after the test, he said, look, I'm not going to use that, that again. I'm not going back to the old one. He will stick with the, the, the four-wing setup, if you like, um, for the rest of this season. The other teams, now, well, on that point, you might say, well, really, if Yamaha, with hindsight, if they'd waited until this test to try this update, you know, it would have given them the chance to realise, well, you know what, this isn't going to make that much difference. We can work on something else. Too late now. They've they've introduced it. Even just taking the side pods off, that counts as an update. So they've, they've introduced for KTM and Yamaha. That's been done. The other teams, they've still got their one roll of the dice, their one Joker card to play on that. So they were there were a lot of teams trying aerodynamic parts, hoping to find usually traction or cornering. In Honda's case, trying to trying to get some grip back and things like that. So there was a lot of aerodynamics on display. Even the little left one wing on the back of the Aprilia that uh, that, that first appeared on Savadori's bike. I think that got another showing. Whether we'll see that in a race weekend, who knows? They claim it does work. It does give a bit of downforce under the first initial touch of braking. Just helps to keep the rear tire on the ground. So we'll see. But uh, but other than that, yeah, it was general test work. You know, teams working on setups. Uh, KTM, I think there was a chassis. Honda had a, had a chassis. They gave Paul Espargaro the parts that Taka Nakagami had had. Uh, Keith mentioning Paul Espargaro's future, of course. That decision to give Taka the, Mark Marquez's parts. I mean, people are seeing that pretty clearly as well, Paul's not going to be here next year. There are, so there are other rumours that he might have an offer from Honda, somewhere at Honda, but yeah, definitely the rumour is there's an offer at KTM. There's also still this rumour just sort of never really gone away about might some sort of gas-gas entry take over that Suzuki spot? You know, could that happen in some way? So a rebranded KTM bike? Who knows? So, But definitely, Paul is being linked with KTM. He went well on that bike. It suited his style. And it, it seems like KTM hiring Jack, they're, they're looking back towards experience, aren't they? They, they? they went at a time with a lot of young riders, um, and now maybe they, they're thinking that they do need a bit of experience. So somebody that knows the bike well, I mean, it'd be no harm for them having pulled back. But um, yeah, just back to the testing. So Cotterai was fastest from um, Peko Banyaya. Cotterai pretty much fastest all of the day. Aleish, after his huge mistake on the Sunday, he was one of the first out on track. So he was really signalling. He wanted to put that behind him. And uh, yeah, where, where was it? Fourth on the timesheets behind Zarco. So yeah, the pretty guys were up there. Miller was uh, sixth behind Pole. So Pole, yeah, Pole did do well. He tried the new swing arm that he didn't get to try on the race weekend. So agreed with Nakagami, not a night and day difference. But he said, you know, one-tenth can put you up a row on the grid. So, you know, we could see Pole try it this weekend. That'd be interesting to see if he does fit into the bike. But uh, yeah. That was sort of the, in a nutshell. And also, just um, on on that, it came out a couple of weeks ago, uh, but we didn't touch on it. At Pete, MotoGP, uh, the rear tyre choices have been reduced to two options for each event next year. Um, currently, the different tyre options are soft, medium and hard for use at each race weekend. Three. How significant is that and why has that come about? I think it, it seems to have come about by there, there were tyres that were not being used. So basically to cut down on the waste. Now, obviously, it, I suppose just to be clear on this, this doesn't mean these are the same two tyres or three tyres, as is the case now, that come to every race. Michelin pick three tyres from a, a selection pool of, of their rear tyres. They will pick three of them, a soft, medium and hard. Uh, and next year, they'll only pick two. Now, the teams have agreed to this, so that's fair enough. But it does just narrow the window. And it, it makes, we've seen, uh, you know, some teams such as KTM that might might only, we see in the, in the tyre selection sheet, they'll start the race as the only guys on the hard front, for example. Now, 
let's say that, okay, we're talking rear tires here, but if that situation happens with the rear and that hard rear is no longer there and the choice is effectively a soft and medium, that, that's going to be difficult for those guys. So it, it does just narrow that window, doesn't it? And it means that, uh, yeah, you know, teams are going to really want to be spot on with their setup because they're not going to be able to rely on trying to use the tire to fix their problems. They're going to have to fix the problems with the bike setup. There's a massive crossover, though, in the overlap of compounds in Michelin, whereas there wasn't previously in previous tire manufacturers. So you've got quite a lot of crossover, and that's why we have sometimes all three compounds of tires in a race, um, because there is that crossover between them. So I can see quite a bit the reason why. And, of course, Michelin will update how those compounds operate, how they work as well. And we will have a renewed, a new um, robust protocol for tyre pressures. <laughs> there we go back there to that. Um, next year, there will be a, a universal across all of the MotoGP teams, uh, tyre pressure, uh, data download uh, and monitoring system that will be robust in its security so no one can cheat it or do anything um, untoward with it. That will be in 2023. It was supposed to be this year, but they didn't quite get there with the the software, whatever they needed to um, get it so that it was secure. Um, unlike there are in, in Mono2, for instance, or even Moto E, I think, has got a, a good tyre pressure system as well that's across the board. But um, MotoGP will be up to speed in 2023. So all these things combined um, will make it uh, a little bit tighter, the tyre package, and, and saving money at the end of the day. You know, anyone who's not been in a MotoGP paddock and seen the the massive um, container loads of tyres that get shipped from one place to the next, there's a fair bit of shipping there. A fair bit of shipping indeed, I'm sure. Um, right, look ahead to this weekend, shall we? Uh, and we're back racing in MotoGP. Keith, Germany, the Saxon ring is back. And, of course, with Marc Marquez absent, we will get a different winner for the first time since 2012 in 10 years yeah this is like texas mark ii isn't it saxon ring when it comes to mark marquez um great racetrack but a little bit dangerous comes back into the situation where you know you you look at turn, i think it's turns four and five you know it it's all a bit close funny enough i see that rattling around the back of my head Alicia Spargro, who I will be getting right up there when we get to our predictions in a minute, because yeah. I think this is going to work <laughs> quite well for the Aprilia. But I remember Alicia going in, I think, at four, which is even the paddock is split because the paddock isn't big enough to have you know everyone in one place. So hospitality is on a different level to the to the main uh, garages and trucks. Uh, it's an awkward place to get around to 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 work around for everybody from the media to right the way through. Um, and you're on the side of the tyre for an enormous amount of time on the left-hand side of the tyre as well. So it's kind of, it's old school, East German, super beer drinking, out at night, fun and games, you know, lots of noise, lots of people. Great you sold it for me. Fun. <laughs> I'm there. You've sold it. <laughs> yeah. You actually, i got to say, young or old, um, and me and you are at bottom ends at each end of that scale, yeah. Harry. Um, it is actually really, really good fun. I do, I do enjoy going to Saxon Ring, but uh, the, yeah, it, it, the track is borderline dangerous now for MotoGP. You know, the velocity of motorbikes um, has increased to such an extent into out of a corner, corner speed and the like, that the, the runoff in a couple of places isn't really good enough. Um, if you start to get into the history of things, this is where 
I used to love traveling with Julian Ryder when you go to places like East Germany because, you know, he would tell you about the war, not that he was in it, but of course he, he, he kind of studied it and <laughs> where this was made and that was made and the, you know, where, you know, Degner and the rest of them were for CZ bloody and MZ over there and so on and so forth. And then you drive down, down a road outside and there's a little memorial with one rider that was, you know, departed us at that particular turn on the old course and, history absolutely oozing out of the fields there love going there it's one of it's one i think there's only one track really i think i've said to you that i'm not really that keen on going to <laughs> out of all of them <laughs> but which, which I, one was that it is, it, it is unique it is unique i mean uh, it's one of those tra- places that if you if you absorb the history of, of bike sport and absorb the region that you're in each track you know, you can spend easily a week to 10 days uh, in an area just sucking it all up. Fantastic. Give Keith Lemon or Saxon Ring and you know which one he's going to be attending. Um, yeah, I mean, Lemon's <laughs> one of the most successful this year from a spectator point of view. And yes. it's got to be on the calendar, but, but it's not my favourite. <laughs> Uh, Pete, um, what do you make of the Saxon Ring there? I, I, it's hard to dis- disagree what Keith said about you know it's it's become you know most GP has a little bit outgrown it by the look by the looks of things really and just in terms of sheer size. But uh, it, hopefully we'll get some good racing. Yeah, it's definitely a unique track, shortest one on the calendar, and as Keith says, it, you wouldn't believe it to look at it as you as you pull up that oh that that's the track you know it's it's it, it squeezed it's not only a short track it's squeezed into a small space it's almost like it's in a sort of a multi-story car park type layout it's where you have a sort of the upper part and then they drop down the, the waterfall corner and they do a few more and then they come back up to the start again um so yeah very unique everything backs onto itself as Keith says so that again that's the problem with runoff they can't make it bigger because it's you know there's another part of the track just the other side of the barriers so they're very limited for space but it's always you know it's for spectators, they get a great view, and it's always a popular round as, uh, for reasons Keith was saying. And uh, yeah, as and as you were saying, Harry, you know, it's been Mark Marquez's territory since even before he was in MotoGP. He was winning on you know Moto Two, One Two Five, and everything else, and and that emotional win a year ago. You know, his first since the accident and uh, you know breaking his arm. It was uh, you know it's it's been a great track for him. But as you say, this year all changed. So really, it's a we're starting from a blank sheet of paper because most people on the grid will not have been at a German Grand Prix that hasn't been won by Marc Marquez. It's going to be, uh, well, it's going to be an exciting one, I think. I'm, I'm quite excited for it. I don't know why, in particular for Saxon Ring. Maybe it's because I've now levelled with points in our predictions tally with Pete. Because after last weekend, Keith still leads the way with 10 points. But Pete and I are, are tied with seven because despite Aleish finishing one lap early, I still had Zarko on the podium for last time. And that picked me up an extra point. And that leads us nicely on then, gents. Two predictions for this weekend. One, two, three. Who you got? Who you going for? Who should we go for first? Mm, Keith, you've had a bit more time to think. You can have it first. <laughs> Who's going first? Keith. Me. Oh, bloody yeah. hell. Thanks for that, Harry. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought you'd had, you you haven't spoken in about five minutes. So you, you've had more time to think. <laughs> hey, that don't make me any better. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to go for an Aprilia. For the win? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go for okay. a leash for the win. Okay. Making um, up for, uh, for last time. Well, I think that... Um, it's going to be a tyre war, I think, there as well. It'll be very interesting to see who manages to keep tyres 
in that that left hand side of the tire there is like a nightmare. Um, uh, I feel like I want to go with Bastianini, but the fact of the matter is he's only the last two rounds he's done nothing at. Um, what a nightmare one this is to predict. Mind you, they all are. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. Every weekend. <laughs> Just chuck it all in the air. Okay, I'm going to have Alacious Bargro for winning here. That's that's pretty bold anyway. Um, Bastianini. And Binder. Oh, okay. How rare is that? Okay, TM. That, that, that'll be Brad, by the way. <laughs> yeah well the well, way darren's been riding at the moment it if it all goes wrong yeah, you never rains. know <laughs> yeah. well yeah, go on pete good, then who you, no, good call. who you yeah. got pete you... um well you were mentioning last the last race harry and, 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 i mean you know i had the front row predicted and you, uh, you know, I, I, that was you know, I had a leash, Banyaya, Quattro. So I'm thinking, I'm on for a. Po- I actually, you know, this could be a podium sweep. But then what happens? Banyaya's off at turn one. A leash throws it away. You know, I, I, I felt like Rivola walking back to the pits with his head in his hands. Yeah. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so with that in mind, I am going for the same three, and I'm out for redemption this week. They're going to pay me back. So yeah, I, I'm also going to stick with the Aleish win that I, I had predicted for the previous one. I'm going to go with Keith on that. I'll go uh, Banyaya second, and I'll go Quattararo third. Okay. I think, All right. I think that's. I think it's a very safe, unsporting bet. <laughs> 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 He's trying I to made my gamble last week, and you, you you saw what happened. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> if it, everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. Um, I'm going for a Quattararo win. I think um, I'm going to have a leash on the podium as well. He's been on my podium prediction for the last four races and so far it's come true but I think he's going to do second and I'm going to go for my man Zarko to steal the final spot on the podium ran well last time out he's of course in Saxon ring I think he was on pole last time and, and took the podium uh, last year um, in uh, Germany if my memory serves me well um, so good form around there um, and if it goes his way it might be a Zarko on the podium so that's who I'm going for I got a feeling I'm going to get a good idea this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, if that's your podium, Alacious Pargro, Bastini and Binder, that'd be a gr- that would be a great podium. I think every- I think that would be a really everyone would just be really happy with that podium. I think. Um, so it's and it's tight in the leaderboard as well. I'll tell you what, I've improved from last year. I think I was on zero points still. So uh, here we go. I can predict a little bit better. Predict the unpredictable. Um, okay. Well, that does it, gents. All we have left to do is well let the race unfold in a few days time make sure in the meantime you're tuned in across crash.net for all the latest news and analysis as ever across the week in the build-up and then we'll be back as usual next week to discuss it all get your questions in leave them in the comments section uh, or tweet instagram or facebook us just search crash moto gp please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts as well and we'll see you right back here next week but from myself keith and pete it's bye-bye Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.